You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Matthew 22, verse 37. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be Heavenly Father, please um, bless me and bless my, my tongue to speak truthfully about your word, to bring forth your heavenly food uh, to your beloved people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Great Commandment, beloved by Jews for millennia before Christ came as being a part of the Shema that every faithful Jew would have prayed every morning and evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Beloved by Christians for the same reason, and also, as you know, well, as Anglicans included in our liturgy every Sunday as the summary of the law. But have you um, spent much time thinking about what is this commandment and what does it mean? I think characteristically, as I look into my own mind and how I kind of hear it spoken about here and there, we um, smush together the great commandment with the second that is like it a little too quickly. We sort of um, accordion them together because love your neighbor as yourself, there's something really visible and tangible and concrete about that. And indeed, it's, they are connected. The Lord shows us. And we know, I think it's the book of James, you know, or maybe it's John. Now, this is embarrassing. And somewhere in the New Testament, it says, um, how can you love um, your... Oh, no, God, this is really embarrassing. <laughs> how can you love um, God who is not seen if you have not loved your brother who is seen? Right? So they are connected. But because we are inclined towards what is visible, we, I think, land a little quickly on the second that is like it and, and forget the commandment as it stands by itself. Another, I think, interpretive tack we sometimes take is, um, which is not wrong. In fact, it's in keeping with John 14, 21. But we think, oh, love the Lord your God. How do you do that? Well, we keep his commandments. That's what Jesus said. This is, um, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So there we go. Again, something tangible, something that we can do. And as it were, show for ourselves, not always in the right way. But that is not, um, that is the sort of the fruit, the evidence of love of God. But again, we've swum downstream. I want to take us to the very uh, source of the fountain of this scripture. Put another way, um, loving God is more than just an inner experience. Like there is outward fruit of it. Obedience, loving neighbor. But it's not less than an inner experience. It's this inner component that I think we characteristically overlook uh, that I want to spend time lingering over this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I think the pay dirt of this triple, heart, soul, mind, the, the, the greatest amount of gravity is on heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. But for most of us, now it, there are exceptions, but I think for most of us, the way we get to our heart is by working backwards, beginning with our minds, with our souls, and then ending, kind of culminating in the love of the heart. So I want to start with mind. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Mind meaning, um, come on here, Mike. Um, love the Lord your God with all your mind. That is to say, um, with your thinking, with your rationality. Receive what God says as true, as true. Right? That if God says it's true, say with your rationality, say, yeah, I, I believe that. 
That's what it means to love the Lord with your mind. It also means to think on him, to dwell on God, to give him some of your brain space, as we say, and to think about what he's done, both in your life personally and in salvation history, guiding the church for 20 centuries, coming in the flesh to save us 20 centuries ago, building up and guiding his people for 22 centuries before that dwelling on his wonderful works, believing fundamentally and most essentially that the gospel is real, that there really is a God as he has revealed himself and that he really has given us eternal life for free to us at the cost of the blood of his son. Love the Lord your God with your mind. But not just your mind, right? All your mind. I think the best interpretation of this verse is found in 2 Corinthians 10. We take every thought captive to Christ. Every thought. Every thought. Which means doing all of our intellectual processing in the light of God and his gospel. Taking every thought captive. Submitting all of our realms of thought to his ways and his revealed will. Which I think also means tearing down sort of siloed knowledge. I'll never forget... There was this um, speaker at my undergraduate who was doing a Q&A, and he gave this answer. He's like, well, when I have my Christian cap on, he kind of makes a gesture of a baseball cap, I would give this answer. But if I have my American citizen hat on and then gave a different answer, and it was just really clear, like, oh, no, no, there aren't two hats. Like, taking every thought captive to Christ means you choose to wear just one hat. You don't have different categories of knowledge. We don't think as a Christian and as American. We think as a Christian. We don't think as a Christian and as a scientist or a Christian and an investor, there's one hat if we take every thought captive to Christ. Love the Lord, your God, with all your soul, which is speaking about our trust in God, in our inner psyche, in our inner man, in our will, which means really needing him, relying on him, on his presence, on his help, on his strengthening, on his guidance. Another word for this is living faith. So I think we're sort of seeing progressive layers of the way in which faith exists, right? Faith has rational assent, but then faith of the heart, saving faith, or I should say of the soul, in keeping with the grammar of the verse. Faith in the soul, living faith, that really exists within you. Which also requires, as a precondition, voluntarily not relying on and clinging to things that are not God the various idols that we would cling to for help. Often in our current state, uh, money, sometimes family or personal network or your own prowess and skill set, whatever. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, but love the the Lord your God with all your soul. Which I offer the interpretation that this means not just faith in a moment, but Firmness in faith for a lifetime, with all your soul. Constancy, loyalty to God. We read in uh, the prophet Isaiah this week in the daily office readings, just really struck me between the eyes. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you're not firm in faith, you won't be firm at all. It's the only thing on which we can find true strength and firmness. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your heart, your innermost person which is where we want to land together. With your desires and your affections. And I was really thinking about this word affection because it's frequent in theological writings. 
Lewis Wood affection. And it, it just struck me with this really happy insight this week. And I've been kind of struggling with this problem for a couple of years now of the fact that emotions we are kind of passive to, right? Like all of a sudden I just feel sad or melancholy or happy. Like emotions kind of come like the weather. They just kind of blow over our minds and we just experience them. They're not very voluntary and therefore we're not very culpable for them. What we do we're culpable for, but just the feeling itself, right? But then it sort of struck me that there is a, a different category that overlaps with emotion, which we could call affection, which is where will and emotion do work together. Will, like what we are choosing, and it's voluntary. And the picture that came to mind, um, which I hope the kids are distracted for this one, but um, as they all look up, <laughs> um, is with the kids. When you're and those of your parents know this well. When you're trying to do some task, and one of your children runs in to like, talk about something, there really is this moment where you can just be annoyed, right? Or you can turn to them and see them for the lovely little human being that they are and delight in them, in their childishness and in their joy and in their exuberance. And there is a voluntary part about what emotion you end up experiencing, right? Our will and our emotions are, are woven together in that moment. And with my affection, I can choose to give my affection to my child, right? And so it's still an emotion, but it's one I'm active in manifesting, if you will. And this is, this is, for me, just unlocked so much of Scripture where we're commanded things which we usually think of as love things, like love the Lord your God. Yeah, give him your affection with your will. There is an emotional component, and your will, it, it's an affection. Love the Lord your God with your affections. Love him because he's a person. And I know technically he's three persons, but he is also a person. He's not an abstraction. He's not a notion in your mind. He's not some sort of vague ghost in the sky or some logical principle of the universe. He's a prince. He's a person. Those, all those things I just named are effects of him, but he, he's a person. A person who is actually asking for our love in this very commandment, who is inviting our affection and our love. It's startling if you think about what the living God, the real God, has revealed about himself how different it is than all the made-up religions of the world. Think about the Greek gods. Gods, They never even asked to be loved. It was like beyond the category of thought of human invention. But the living God invites us to love him. He invites us to love him because he first loved us and because he's most worthy of our love. He gave us our very existence, the very fact that you are body and soul in this room right now that you have the blessings that you have, that you have salvation in Jesus Christ and eternal life, is because he loves us. That's why we read John 3.16 so many Sundays, to never forget that it's his love that is the origin of all of this creation and salvation project of his. For this reason, um, the church has always read the Song of Songs as having its chief meaning about the soul responding to Christ the Bridegroom. I think that's the only interpretation that makes the most sense and the fullest sense out of the book. So Christians have often taken the expressions from the Song of Songs and prayed them back to God. I am my beloved's and he is mine. That's one of my favorites. Just to pray to God. I am my beloved's and he is mine. It's so affectionate. Those of you who have been swimming with me know I have this tattooed on my arm. So I always forget, as a, so I never forget, uh, as a seal upon my own. Your name is oil poured out. At communion, a, a devotion that is 
um, traditioned is at the moment of receiving communion to pray in the heart, I have found him whom my soul loves. Isn't that tender? God invites us into such tenderness. I found him whom my soul loves. Um, you can actually express your love to God right now. Um, if you trust me for a moment, close your eyes with me. And we're not going to say anything out loud, don't worry. <laughs> but with the eyes of your heart, see the face of Jesus on his throne in heaven. And with the voice of your heart, not, the voice of, not your outward voice, but just with your inner person, if you would like, I invite you just to say in your heart, I love you to God. Maybe you've never made an act of affection like that. You can open your eyes. Love loves to express itself. We know this instinctively in human relationships at their best, right? Um, in marriage and romance, to, to, you, I, you want to say, I love you, to express the love. And that is right and good and, and true for our relationship with God as well, to express our love for God in prayer. These kind of um, verses from Song of Songs or, or, or other expressions of love can be a part of your, that kind of arrow prayer life, those quick prayers that you dart up to God in the midst of the day from the heart. Love the Lord your God with your heart, but not just your heart, with all your heart. Here I offer as the interpretation um, to have, the goal is to have all of our loves connected to our love for God. Like, like spokes on the hub of a bicycle. All of our loves connected to our love for God. That out of our love for Him, deriving from it, we would love others. Even those whom we have natural affection for, such as our family members or church family. But all of our loves, all of our love of neighbor, at its best and truest and fullest, should be connected to our love for God, that we love others because God loves them. Natural affection, given enough push and pull, will almost always wear out. Love for God, God's sake, never runs out. Even, and St. Augustine digs into this in these beautiful ways, if you're interested in uh, sort of digging into this more, even the way in which we treat ourselves should be downstream from the fact that God loves us. To love ourselves in the way and in the proportion and in the kind of love that God loves us with. Which isn't a sort of pampering, self-protective love. It is a caring and a thoughtful stewardship love. And they're different. But to love ourselves even as God loves us. And then also, as well as having all our loves connected to him, like with faith that loving the Lord with all your soul is firmness in faith. Loving God faithfully, loving God with all your heart means loving him faithfully until the end, until our death. And then, for eternity. I was in a discussion this week of um, the brother about, it's remarkable that love is the one thing that doesn't sort of change after death, right? Faith changes because it goes to sight. Hope changes because it's realized. But love just continues on. Our love for God. One act of love, like we did two minutes ago, is easy. Faithful love for a lifetime requires God's own help. And... This brings us to kind of how we see the great commandment situated in the liturgy. If we actually believe this is a, is a commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, it's clear that tragically in the face of love, we break this commandment more than any other. It's fairly easy to not be a literal murderer or a literal idolater in terms of the Ten Commandments. It is very hard, actually impossible, this side of heaven, to love God with all our heart. Our love is always breaking away and seeping away and forgetful and, and negligent and even unfaithful, even willfully unfaithful. That's what sin is. 
we actually break this commandment more than all the others, and that's why we say the Kyrie right after the great commandment. That's not just a random assemblage. It's none of us have fulfilled this commandment. As it says in 1 John, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And so we say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Because we haven't kept this faithfully for 30 seconds continuously in terms of our thought life and ferreting away to things that are not God. And yet, even as we lament by saying, Lord, have mercy in the face of this commandment, even as we lament our lack of love, you know, I wish I loved God more. I hope you have that feeling in your heart. I wish I loved God more than I do right now. Even that feeling is a symptom of love. Only love wants to love more. And here we see the great mystery of the gospel. As it says in Romans 5, he has the love of God, and here I think it means the love for God, the love for God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But the fact that you have in your heart this inclination to love God and the desire to love him more is proof of his saving work within you. He placed that love there by his Holy Spirit. And that longing to love more, that comes from him. And the grace and the gift to be able to grow in love and to become better children of God. Not for it to win his approval, but just like functioning in the family in a more joyful way. Or in the mystical language of the songs, to be a more faithful spouse to Christ the bridegroom. It's his work in us, which is why we repent and ask him for help to live the life of Christian love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. Amen.